It's the year 2000, and I'm sitting at home watching the Sydney Olympics on the old school TVs with the booty on the back. And the stadium is packed. The crowd has come to see this young black female star from America light up the world stage. I was excited to see her myself. She stands and waves at the crowd as her name is called by the announcer. Her name, Marion Jones. Marion's confident. You saw the little smile before uh, when she was being introduced. She shakes out her legs a little before bringing her focus to what's ahead of her. Marion places her feet in the blocks, her eyes locked firmly 200 meters away on the finish line. So I'm watching, and I find it difficult to tell who's in the lead in the first 100 meters. But coming out of the curve, the rest of the sprinters quickly start to fade behind Marion. Do you know those tour guides that stand in front of a group of people? That's exactly what she looked like. Marion Jones is now the fastest woman on the planet. Double gold medalist in both the 100 meters and 200 meters. She's achieved her dreams. But within a few short months, Marion's world was on the brink of collapse. Whispers around the world of athletics were turning into a constant buzz of disbelief, a buzz of questions. Could she really have won by that big a margin if she was clean? I have taken over 160 drug tests. I have taken tests before, during, and after the 2000 Olympics and have never failed a test. I'm Alzo Slade, and from Something Else, this is Cheat, a new series that tells the inside stories behind some of the biggest cheating scandals in history and tries to answer the question, is it ever okay to break the rule? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Last week saw the start of the Tokyo Olympics, which means there's all of a sudden a hell of a lot of track and field on my newsfeed. It also means that lots of athletes are having to pee in cups to make sure there are no chemicals running through their veins that give them superhuman strength. I think they're still peeing in cups, right? Or maybe they draw blood these days. I don't know. Well, however they're tested, this is about the time where athletes are getting exposed for doping. You got the state-sponsored doping in Russia that's so bad that they're completely banned from the Olympics this year. That might be a story for another episode of Cheat. Then you've got people like Shikari Richardson caught in the crossfire, banned for taking one of the least performance-enhancing drugs of all time. The U.S. Anti-Doping Agency confirmed that Richardson had tested positive for marijuana use. I actually saw a meme that said if Shikari Richardson can run that fast on weed, then she deserves a medal just for that. But how did we get here? How did we get to this situation whereby drugs and sport are so rampant? It's like on one hand, doping is now so ubiquitous that many fans have become numb to it. Some folks say if everybody's doping, then that's a level playing field, right? 
Drugs have changed the entire meaning of what it means to be an athlete competing in a space where fair play is paramount. But why? There are a number of reasons, but I think it's fair to say one of those reasons is Marion Jones. In the late 90s through the mid-2000s, Marion was the queen of track and field until 2007 when her world came crashing down. This is the story of one woman's rise to the pinnacle of her profession and her spectacular fall from grace. But it also asks the question, what are the politics of punishment in sport? And is there a racial disparity in the way black athletes are treated and torn down by society? But this story doesn't start with Marion. Let me introduce you to Calvin Smith, a young sprinter from Mississippi trying to make a name for himself. And in 1983, Calvin's at this track meet in Colorado Springs, lining up for the 100-meter race. I had a, a decent start. Decent start? He flew out of the blocks. It was different than a lot of other races. It was very, I would say, effortless. His body was moving in complete symmetry. His mind focused on one thing. I just concentrated on my race and didn't worry about anything else. Calvin crossed the line and looked up at the clock. He was completely shocked. 9.93 seconds, a new world record. I didn't feel like I had ran that fast as far as the world record time. Not that I put less effort, but it felt like less effort. News of Calvin's time spread around the country. The old world record had lasted 15 years. At the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles, Smith won a gold medal as part of the U.S. 4x100 meters relay team. But he was still a young man. Four years later, he had hit his prime. Seoul Olympics 1988, up against one of the greatest runners of all time, Carl Lewis. Another sprinter in the 100-meter final was Ben Johnson, the new star from Canada, and the favorite. I felt good when I got in the blocks, and I just went and ran my best that I could that day. He tried and tried like the little engine that could, but it wasn't to be. In the end, he came in fourth. The winner was Ben Johnson. There was just one problem, and maybe a good reason why Calvin couldn't catch up to the others. In the days after the race, it came to light that Johnson tested positive for steroids. There were also positive tests for Carl Lewis and Linford Christie. The three people that beat me had tested positive for drugs. But Calvin, he never wanted to cheat. He knew he wanted to be a drug-free athlete. I was going to and did run drug-free, you know, throughout my career. I just felt that, you know, uh, cheating was just not the route for me. That's crazy that you got to think about it and make a conscious decision to be clean. I mean, just how prevalent was doping in those days? Was everybody shooting up? You know, many times I knew that when I lined up that probably three, four people that I was going to be competing against probably was on drugs. But how did Calvin know that these guys were on drugs? You knew who the drug coaches were, and you knew who went there. And once they went there, it was a total different thing. People that you were 
beating with no problem, then it was harder to beat them once they went to that coach. I mean, coaches are good. Some are great, but they don't make an athlete a 10-3 runner to a a 9-9 runner, you know, overnight. I mean, that's a hell of a coach if they can do that or whatever they're supplying is a hell of a drug. And Calvin had been approached by one of these coaches at a track meet. There were one subtle type comment from a coach about taking drugs. The coach said to Calvin, These athletes are, you know, running fast and they're taking stuff and you could possibly do the same thing and just left it at that. The coach clearly saw talent in Calvin, but knew to win at the Olympics, he'd need to be on a level playing field. And that meant taking drugs. Seoul 1988 went down in infamy as the dirtiest race in history. And that's saying a lot considering drugs have been around as long as sport has existed. Even the ancient Greeks were at it, making herbal potions and magical elixirs to make them go faster. (laughs) Oh, shit. But it wasn't until 1958 when anabolic steroids entered the mix and the game really changed. The Olympics in the 60s and 70s were dominated by the East Germans, which turned out to be one of the most organized and regimented state-sponsored doping regimes ever. Pretty much all of them were on drugs. It actually took them until 1975 to put steroids on the banned substance list. This was just over a decade before the 1988 Olympics. The year after those games, they brought in mandatory random testing for all athletes. This was a new start, a revolution in the effort against performance-enhancing drugs. That same year, 1989, Marion Jones was a freshman in high school. Marion was about to become a shining representation of this new start, a new beginning for athletics with new stars, stars to clean up track and field's dirty image. Marion Jones, a great high school star, seems ready to take the world stage with this race. More on that after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good, seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous true spies from spyscape studios wherever you get your podcasts as a freshman she won the 100 meter dash and the 200 meter dash at the california state high school championships the best in the state as a freshman she did it again as a sophomore she did it again as a junior as a senior she added a championship in the long jump that's nine state championships as a teenager. Nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever done that since. So it was impossible not to know of her. That's Ron Rappaport. 
a legendary sports writer and author. Among the books I've done were a book with Marion Jones that came out a year before the 2000 Olympics. The book was called See How She Runs, and Ron wrote it with Marion after spending time following her to various competitions in the run-up to the Sydney Games. It charted her life from a young age. One story that sticks to me when you talk about self-confidence and poise is she watched the wedding of uh, Charles and Diana when she was five years old. And they rolled out a red carpet, and she asked her older brother, why are they rolling out a red carpet? And he said to her, well, they do that for very important people, very special people. And Mary, in age five, said, why don't they do that for me? That young with that confidence, that's pretty badass. Ron says that reporters like him were immediately taken with her. She was so charming. She was so interesting to talk to. She had so many fascinating things to say. She just had us at her mercy. By this point, Marion was becoming a star, an inspiration to kids everywhere. Ron ended up talking to Marion's manager and found out that she wanted to do a book, educate the public on her story a little bit. And so I spent a lot of time with her at her training camp. I spent some time with her um, uh, at, at the various meets I went to. And um, she, she allowed me inside. Ron followed her to the World Championships in 1999 in Seville. The World Championships, she won the 100-meter dash, and then her leg went out on her in, in the 200-meter dash. Marion Jones, what a tragedy for her, down on the track, done a hamstring. And they showed the replay of her being carried off the field time and time again, you know. Finally, an hour and a half later, they were going to take her out in a, in a cart, you know, and, and, and her coach said, no way. She's walking out of here, and she did kind of limped out. After the race, Primo Nebbiolo, who was the head of the International Track Federation, came out and made a statement. He said, I was deeply affected by the injury sustained by Marion Jones. I'm sure that millions of fans around the world share this sentiment. Marion Jones has become a symbol of all that is best in athletics, enthusiasm, and the simple joy of competing. The symbol of all that was best about athletics. A symbol of this new age of track and field. This squeaky clean, dedicated, talented athlete with the winning smile. You go back and look at those words now, and you, you see um, the dichotomy that later reared its ugly head. Marion recovered from limping off the track in the 200 meters at the World Championships and was gearing up for the Olympics in 2000. The whole country expected her to bring home gold. She was the greatest track and field star in the world. She had set all kinds of, of, of records at every place she went. And because of her charm and because of her smile, because of how attractive she was, she was everywhere. She was on the cover of Time, the cover of Newsweek. She posed for Annie Leibovitz. She was on the cover, I'm not making this up, of Scientific America which put a robotic drawing over her. And the the title of the article was Building an Elite Athlete. I mean, when people make a robot out of you because of your athleticism, at that point, you definitely made elite status. There was very little question that barring injury or something unforeseen, she was going to win two gold medals. Two gold medals in the 100 meters and 200 meters. But that wasn't enough. At one point, she decided she wanted to go for five. She wanted to add the long jump. Oh, Oh, so you're just going to add long jump, huh? Just because. 
Two medals is cool, but I think my neck would look better with five, don't you think? The press named it the Drive for Five. The 100, the 200, the long jump and two relays. I think she can do it if she stays healthy. 100 meters, 200 meters, 4 by 100 meters, 4 by 400 meters, and now the long jump. Never been done before or since. The first event was probably her strongest and the most glamorous. Everybody watches the 100 meters. I was working in Chicago, and NBC and its wisdom were showing the Olympics um, on tape. So NBC decided not to do a live broadcast, but instead just show repeats of all the events about a day late. But Ron, he had to watch this live. This was Marion's moment, her coming out party. So I drove to <laughs> Detroit and stayed in a motel that picked up Canadian television, which showed everything live. <laughs> I just had to drive 300 miles to Detroit. I'm just imagining Ron in this raggedy motel room not hotel, but motel, with a dirty bathroom, sitting on a comforter that probably hadn't been washed in three decades, and his eyes are just fixed on the grainy television. I felt a certain amount of excitement because I, I knew her. I'd spent this time with her. I liked her. The thing about it is there was this feeling of inevitability. When you're watching something great, when you're watching something at its best, and even though you expect it, it's quite remarkable. It was quite thrilling. Needless to say, it wasn't only Ron that found it remarkable. I have to describe this to you. Sports Illustrated ran a picture across two pages, okay? And here is the field in the 100-meter dash. And they're all bunched up tight. And then you open up another page to the right. You're looking at three pages. And there, all by herself, way ahead of everybody, is Marion, across three pages. It's an astonishing photo. She won the 100-meter dash in Sydney by 0.37 seconds. Somebody said it was the equivalent of winning a marathon by a mile. A week or so later, she was back in her next event, the 200 meters. There was no question that she was going to win the 200 either. It was laughable. Gold again. She also won gold in the 4x400 and bronze in both the 4x100 and the long jump. Five medals. It was one of the most successful medal halls by a single athlete in history. Marion was now a star. She had gone intergalactic. Her story was inspiring millions of kids all over the world. A clean, athletic hero after so many disappointments, so many false hopes. But even while she was racking up the golds at Sydney, something shook her and her team to their very core. What happened was that during the Olympics, her husband, C.J. Hunter, the shot putter, was charged with having uh, t- I mean, taken steroids. CJ was a world champion shot putter. He was another one of Team USA's gold medal hopes. And the big concern of everybody was how this would affect Marion. She still had events to run. She had heats to run. She had the long jump still. So on the one hand, she had to support her husband. On the other hand, she had to worry about her own concerns, you know. And the fact that she went on to win more medals after the allegations against CJ, I I thought made her performances all the more remarkable. After the Olympics, CJ decides to retire from shot put. Marion and CJ split up, and she returns back to America a conquering hero. She's adored by the whole country. 
Then, in 2003, the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency received an anonymous tip that an undetectable designer steroid is being distributed to athletes by this place called Balco. Balco was founded in 1984 by this guy Victor Conti and his wife Aubrey. At the very beginning, Conti used his self-taught knowledge of nutrition to sell vitamins that maintain a perfect balance of minerals. Sounds like a commercial, huh? But then Conte met this guy Patrick Arnold, a chemist from Illinois who was a genius at coming up with these undetectable drugs. Now Conti's mind starts to move. He needs someone to help him get these drugs into the bodies of athletes. Enter personal trainer Greg Anderson. From there, athletes start flocking. In 2003, after they received that anonymous tip, federal agents stormed Balco. They turned the offices upside down, emptied filing cabinets, and went through the trash. And what they uncovered was pretty crazy. It was basically a doping conspiracy. All these high-profile athletes are implicated, including Marion. The federal agents interview her, and she denies all wrongdoing. We're indignant. You know, how can they do this? What lies? What nonsense? Show me the proof. There exists no one who can truthfully testify that I have ever used performance-enhancing drugs simply for the reason that I never have. But then something happened that changed everything. The head of Balco, this guy Victor Conti, he starts singing like a canary including going on live TV and claiming he gave Marion performance-enhancing drugs before, during, and after the Sydney Olympics. The Sydney Olympics, the moment a nation fell in love with Marion Jones, the moment she became a true hero. Was she about to lose everything, her medals, her reputation? It was very hard to believe about her again because we'd had so much experience with her, all of it positive on and off the track, for so many years. So we were thinking that maybe she'd been framed. And so Marion doubles down. She files a $25 million lawsuit against Victor Conti, accusing him of trying to destroy her career and reputation. But in 2005, out of nowhere, the news drops. Marion is being charged with lying to federal agents. But when and how? Well, Back in 2003, when she was interviewed after the Balco offices got raided, the investigators questioning her had shown her a vial of liquid. They asked her whether she had ever seen it, and she said no. But she was lying. She had seen it. Many times, in fact. It was THG, otherwise known as the Clear, the undetectable designer steroid that Balco was giving many athletes. And the fact that she lied meant that she had broken the law. And now she had to face the world. The weight of the evidence had become heavy. There was so much tying Marion to the case that it was hard to believe that she didn't take the drugs. She stood outside the courthouse on the day she made her plea and spoke to the public. Photographers and journalists surrounded her with microphones and cameras. Her family stood behind her. Her mother wore a face of solidarity and defiance. Even more loyal and supportive than words can de- declare has been my family, and especially my dear mother, who stands by my side today. I was not in touch with her, but I was 
watching the pictures on the steps of the courthouse in San Francisco, where she was weeping and admitted to lying. And so it is with a great amount of shame that I stand before you and tell you that I have betrayed your trust. I was a little misty-eyed too, you know. I just felt sad. Somebody wanted to ask me if I felt betrayed, and I said, that's a harsh word. I felt sad and disappointed. And then in January of 2008, Marion gets sentenced to six months in prison for lying to a federal agent. The only athlete ever to face a prison sentence relating to performance-enhancing drugs. Why did Marion go to jail? Why did she serve hard time? Why was she treated like that? Uh, was it racism? Was it sexism? I don't know. I don't know. I wish I did. More on that after the break. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So far in this story, we've seen Marion Jones' rise to fame and glory. She wins five medals at the Sydney Olympics, becomes a national hero, and then gets brought down by this Balco scandal and have to admit to the world that she's a cheat. And not only did she have her reputation ruined and all of the financial implications that go along with that, she also gets sent to jail for six months for lying to federal agents. Now, on the surface, this story seems pretty simple. You cheat, you get caught, you got to pay the price. But maybe there are a few more layers to this onion, as there usually are. Here's a famous, once-beloved black woman in America who ended up locked away and broke. I was curious about how much, if at all, this debacle had to do with the fact that she's black and a woman. So we found someone who studied this very thing. Dr. Delia Douglas wrote a paper back in 2014 about Marion Jones and the way she was treated after she admitted guilt and what Dr. Douglas calls the politics of punishment. How do you think it might have been different for Marion Jones had she not been Black and not been a woman? Well, the fact that she's the first person to go to prison for the quote-unquote steroid issue. Despite lots of calls for leniency, the judge in this case didn't really show any. You know, the judge's claim that he wanted to make an example of Jones is an example of white power and really white supremacy. You know, they're making the claim of, well, we supported her, so how dare she? The American public had been taken by Marion and her story. Mainstream media, politicians, everyone. They all had fallen in love with her. We'll put you on a pedestal, but we always know that, you know, belonging and love and adulation is contingent and conditional. When Marion Jones, you know, apologizes to the country and saying, I let you down, I cringed at that because really, to what extent did the country love you in the first place? But Marion Jones did cheat. She took the steroids. That's certainly what Calvin Smith thinks. Remember our sprinter from earlier? He was the only clean athlete in the dirtiest race in history. I don't think that she was treated 
harshly or different. She lied, for one. You know, there are consequences to things that you do. And you have to be ready to uh, pay those consequences if you do those things. And I can imagine Calvin's opinion isn't uncommon. I'm sure some of y'all listening are probably thinking it. Dr. Douglas, when it comes to Marion Jones, she cheated. She admitted she cheated. Yeah. So some folks would say, all right, we can pontificate all we want about the nuances of the black female body and the the complexity of of black folks engagement and tension with America. But she cheated mm. and she should be punished and she got punished. So what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the politics of punishment because it's not just the case of a positive test. It's not that simple because we are more than one thing and we are positioned in systems that are interconnected. What she's basically saying is that there are lots of factors at play here. It's not just the case of she did wrong, so let's punish her. Yeah, we know Marion cheated, but there are lots of positive tests in track and field. She was by no means the only one. If I had done this intentionally or unintentionally, I'd be the first one to step up and say, I did it. There's nothing about her case that's superlative. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. She didn't take the others down. She didn't run the lab, and she definitely wasn't peddling the drugs. I've said it for seven years. I've said it for longer than seven years. I have never doped. Nobody is saying that Marion is the worst cheater ever. So why has she received the worst punishment ever? One thing that really stood out to me when I read Dr. Douglas's article was a letter from Douglas G. Logan, the then CEO of USA Track and Field. He wrote to the president, George W. Bush, after Marion asked him for pardon. He, he, he goes so far as to like, tell the president that, that you have a moral and practical duty to oppose Jones's request for a pardon. When I read that, it seemed to me that this Logan guy was like, uh-huh, gotcha, gotcha, Jones. We cannot let you get away from our grasp because we, we caught you. We caught you in the act. And, and see, here's the thing I would say. That letter um, was specifically about Jones, but the message extends beyond Jones to other Black female athletes and to, and to Black people more broadly. When a Black person is adored, celebrated, embraced, and then something happens, the punishment goes through the roof. This is where racial power um, returns with a vengeance and says, we let you in and you have shown to be the very thing that we have claimed black people were. You've proven to be the rule. We thought you were the exception. Dr. Douglas says it's like these black athletes are just public property. They're put under 24-7 surveillance to be controlled. You only want us for our athletic excellence, nothing else. So you're really not fully human. You're just a body running through space in the service of our needs, not yours. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's part of enduring struggles for freedom, right? Freedom to be all of who you are. In a country that prides itself on individualism. Right. There's another example of an ongoing, ever-present contradiction and tension. 
which to use the common language right now is makes it very difficult to breathe. It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Very much exhausting. Even clean athletes like Calvin Smith were treated like criminals. In the days after Ben Johnson tested positive, Calvin was retroactively awarded a bronze. They uh, asked me to come to the stadium, and someone under the stadium stands just gave me the medal. Wait a minute. So this dude gets no ceremony, no fanfare, nothing. Just some guys handing over the medal like a shady drug deal underneath the stadium. And what's worse is... I was going to be on one of the morning shows, and they told me I couldn't say anything bad about it. So even then, Calvin wasn't allowed to speak his mind, to say how he really felt on that morning show. When it was all said and done, he was just a body running through space and time in the service of their needs and not his. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. I think he enjoyed playing the part of kind of an entertainer educator. I think like a lot of surgeons, he probably had a bit of a God complex. And um, this was certainly feeding it. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. The producer for this episode is Tom Fuller. The series editor is Joe Sykes. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Thanks to Steve Ackerman, Mark Rivers, Peggy Sutton, and Ella McLeod. 